All right. Welcome to episode zero two. Yes. Of Sync Ratios, yep. an Evangelion podcast hosted by me, Luke Piotrowski. And me, Ben Collins. We are friends and writing partners. We've done mm-hmm. some movies, maybe that you've seen, probably that you haven't. Yeah, uh, Super Dark Times. Um, also a movie called Stephanie and a movie called Siren. Yeah, all available on the internet. Somewhere. And uh, other movies, you know, that don't start with S are, are out there in the works. Um, but we're not here to talk about that. Yeah, we're here to talk about the second episode of Neon Genesis Evangelion. Right. The the seminal anime classic from the 90s. And uh, we're going episode by episode. Yep. Um, last time we did episode one. So this is episode zero two. This is The Beast is what this one is is called. Is the Is the first title. And we talked about last time how there's like this sort of extra title that pops up. You had a name for that because you're more informed on this than oh, I Oh, well, yeah. There's a, it's called the eye catcher. Like, um, you know, a, the television anime, you know, you'd sort of have your, you know, your commercial breaks. And, uh, you know, Cowboy Bebop famously had some really good eye yeah. catchers. It's sort of similar to the bumps you'd see on Adult Swim, which I guess is mm. also maybe a dated reference. I don't know. Do they still do those? I have no idea. But like halfway through the show when you cut to commercial, you cut in and out, you'd have the little eye catchers come up. So it's almost like with Evangelion, you sort of get two titles. You have like the episode title and then you get like a weird little halfway point title and in some of those and that's i only bring it up because this one in particular is one of my favorite ones and and in general though some of them are very sort of poetic and and they come from different references to different things and this one is called uh unfamiliar ceiling oh yeah did i i may have been jumping the gun here because this episode is um no this is the beast right and then unfamiliar ceiling is is the middle the yeah. midpoint yeah right yeah i unfamiliar ceiling is Evangelion is particularly good at just like turns of phrase that the soundtrack title listings are really great. And um, a lot of those are pulled from these episode things. And I don't know how much is there's something magical about translating from Japanese into English yeah. that you're getting words put together that wouldn't normally be that sort of have this weird sense of power. Uh, and so sometimes there's slightly different you know, um, translations of things that can be frustrating because you get so attached to one particular way mm-hmm. it's being said. But um, yeah, there's. I'm particularly fond of this one, and as as a young person who would sometimes have trouble sleeping, the idea of you know sort of calling to mind a, a ceiling that is that is unfamiliar to you and what it's like to be sleeping in a different place. Oh, I think I think about it. Every time I'm anywhere <laughs> that I've not slept before or in a new context, I, as an adult man, still have trouble sleeping, and I always stare up at the ceiling, and it's especially like if I'm in a hotel room or if I'm, you know, like you know, any kind of travel or at somebody's house or something like that, I have the thought, and I, it's always a reference back to, to this episode. The, the most, thing. like, indicative of, like, isolation, of, like, when you are in a place that is unfamiliar to you and you are in a position to be staring up at that ceiling, you're sort of at your mm-hmm. most isolated and vulnerable when you're, when you're trying to sleep at night in a strange place and get your bearings, and so an unfamiliar ceiling, it's such a simple thing that can be such a powerful kind of, um, I don't know, this an impactful thing on your life, on your, on your, your well, emotional that, and inner life. And then there's a lot of plot stuff that we're going to talk about, but I, I do, it, it's a quality that I'm going to probably keep bringing up um, about this show. And, and it, it, we referenced it on some of the previous episodes, but this, this one has a couple different nuggets of that, that there's for a show that's about like 
that's set in like a weird, you know, future world with technology that we don't have and is about this like really complex mythology about these creatures that come from someplace else to terrorize and these, you know, these mechs that the humanity's built to defend and all this crazy shit. For all of that, it is still a show that is very grounded in human experience in, in, a, in, in, in a variety of ways. Like they, they, we talk about the unfamiliar ceiling as this sort of emotional touchstone that like is a reference to like a, you know, a state of loneliness or a state of, transition or uncertainty or something like that but there's a lot of just like textural details of this that make me feel like connected to life in a way that that a lot of movies don't even really do you know like you, you you know movies and tv shows and stuff like you, know, you skip over the mundane details of life typically because if it's not you know uh useful in a story sense like why waste time but in this like we you know this is the first time we see them uh go shopping at a convenience store right, we see yeah. like you know cans of, of beer and, and instant you know noodles and stuff like that that they buy and like well you know we're going to continue to sound like nerds always when we reference the fact that we've both been to japan but like it it, it this this show captures the textural reality of Japan for me in a way that a lot of things don't, and it just it's so it, it I don't know it like it makes me want everything in this even though it's drawn it's animated it's not even real I still I want that beer I want that food I want all of these little things that make I don't know yeah this the everyday life stuff in which is important when you have a world building thing like this which mm-hmm. has you know it's all about this crazy technology and and this world that now is sort of in the past that this was, you know, 2015 was, you know, the future, the not too distant future at the time the show was made. And now it's, you know, going on what, you know, four yeah. years, four years past this, um, but that you still have certain, you know, realities of life and small details that I don't want to jump ahead plot wise, but like little things like crossing the threshold into the house mm-hmm. um, and the importance of that. And that's kind of for Shinji, maybe, the biggest thing in the episode. And yeah. again, I'm just going to jump ahead and talk about that for a second. Cause it's another really important scene to me is, is that we have all this macro stuff, but that, that you zoom into this micro stuff and him hesitating, lingering on the threshold of Misada's apartment. And he has to be, so you know, he has to sort of, you know, be super polite Japanese kid, like, uh, and oh, I'm going to do something rude here and like, you know, forgive me. And she's like, uh, dude, it's your house. Like, you can come in. And so it's just this close-up on his sneakers going into this house for the first time and saying, you know, Tadaima, which is like, you know, the honey, I'm home. It's like, like mm-hmm. Tadaima, okaeri nasai is like sort of the the exchange that you make. And it's like, I'm home, like, welcome home. Like, that's just a, a thing. And so for Shinji to have somebody to say that to and a place to say that and to get a response it's probably something he hasn't really had before. So even though we've got, you know, these these godlike creatures duking it out in this episode and we'll talk about that too. It's I think it is nice that, you know, for me and for Shinji, uh, in particular, that, that that is kind of maybe the most powerful moment. Yeah, well in in all and then to take it back to the other thing that we'll constantly talk about is just how uh Anno, the director of the show, uh constantly finds like the right place to sort of put his camera as it were to sort of illustrate these things and it's very simple sometimes it's more complicated there's another moment with with the elevator moment where it's like you know the (laughs) the camera is sort of like 
impossibly low pointed up and you see this sort of two sides of the frame as Shinji and, and uh, his dad like you know being separated by that doorway and then you him like you just said his feet you know hesitating over the doorway the other time and so there's like it's constantly in the, in the shot of the ceiling as well in the top down shot of him looking up it's like right. things that, that it's very simple and it doesn't with this it's all drawn as it's animation he's not actually filming it but like it doesn't in some cases, it costs less, like we talked about before, with how he's choosing. There's, there's a things. lot of remarkable. Certainly, the convenience store scene that you mentioned earlier is done with. I think the only animation you really see is somebody crosses the the sight line, like, yeah, yeah, close and out of focus, and it's all just Shinji's standing, like still frames of him standing in line. Uh, Close-ups of food items and stuff. Yeah, and then just all exposition that's done through gossip that they're overhearing while they're in line at the checkout counter. And it's, you know, a whole little 30-second sequence, and there's, I don't think, you know, barely any animation to it. No, and some of that does, like, at some point I'll, I'll... I'll have to show you that uh, Godard movie I was referencing on the previous episode because right, there's right. some of that stuff where it's yeah it's just like off at like yeah just so whether or not that's you know an actual influence it definitely is relevant and, and is interesting to continually see that but so, yeah since we're talking about direction and storyboarding yeah, I want go to it. go ahead and you know we should try and do this more at the top <laughs> of the episode <laughs> yeah. but we sort of jumped in with it got excited about you know the title but uh, this you know episode two the first broadcast was October 11th. 1995. Uh, the script for this one is by uh, Yoji and Okido and Hideaki Anno. Storyboards by Masayuki and uh, Hideaki Anno. The director this time was Kazuya Suramaki, who directed the first episode mm. we talked about a little bit last time, is, is a really cool anime director in his own right. And then uh, art director is Takeshi Honda. So just kind of want to give some credits at the top for each episode and yeah. Yeah, no, it's what's yeah. So we'll so we'll try to go sort of in order here and and you know, this is this picks up like at the cliffhanger from the previous episode. It's a really you know, when you watch this, I mean, I think most people who are watching it as if you're listening to this, you're probably watching it on Netflix or soon to be and I'm sure that most people just blur straight into the next episode yeah i'm realizing the idea of like oh you can watch these like each episode it's like nobody's gonna these 20 minute episodes and then like hour long episodes of us talking about them you're they probably gonna might probably gonna binge <laughs> they might but in this case i really well i mean you know who knows i mean because that was the first episode so they're figuring it out but i think you know whenever we watch it typically this time we're not because we do this now after each time but like you just sort of blur into it but it is it's a good cliffhanger you know we've we've left shinji you know, in, in Ava Unit 1 for the first time, facing down the first angel, and we see part of their interaction at the right. beginning of the thing, and then it's broken up, like we sort of, you know, cut out of there. But seeing seeing the action here for, like, I guess, kind of the first well, you time... Well, get, you get sort of held off on, on a lot of that, too. Uh, I do... Let's, let's talk about the angel for a second, mm-hmm. which we didn't talk about a ton. I do want to... I'll call out the names of the angels, you know, as we encounter them in the episodes so this is referred to as the third angel and hmm, what is that yeah we're gonna find out what that's all about more, more of that plot um, that we don't understand at this point <laughs> but uh Sakiel, maybe satchel i'm not sure how to pronounce yeah. my angel names they are all actual you know angel names pulled from you know christian angelology and kabbalistic stuff which are so, you know so it's like latin or aramaic or something i don't know right. what the, the and all sorts of different weird spellings and everything so like you know sakiel sounds like the most angelly to mm-hmm. me <laughs> but that's the name that's given for this one but there is you know like sort of a quote-unquote real angel the name means the covering of god 
Um, it's interesting. He covers. Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, it's probably. A str- I'm sure it's largely inconsequential, and yeah. probably they were just picking angel names that kind of sounded cool. Well, I know when we were in high school and we were watching it, we, like, or like just after high school or whatever, we got like, there was a lot of attempts to, like, puzzle through the Christian mythology right. references as though there was like a sort of coded reality to this thing, and I I do kind of think that, in some sense, it's. It's sort of like the T-shirts you see in Japan, where they just have like random English words on them because right. it's cool. I do think that like there's some they, intention some, here. Some people involved in the show have admitted as much is that that they thought they used the Christian iconography because it looked cool and it would yeah. sort of give it this different vibe. Um, I don't entirely buy that. I think there's some intent, and obviously, as the deeper we get, there's there's some really cool. I think Anna's just too focused stuff. of a guy to 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 fully scattershot that. Like, I I think that there had to be something to it, whether or not each thing is a coded reference to something yeah, else. It's, I don't think it's stretch, entirely but... inconsequential. I don't think it's entirely like, oh, this means that. But part of the fun of any you know literary analysis is, you know, as my professors would say, if it's if it's on the page, you claim it. Yeah. And so part of the fun of going through this stuff and analyzing it is sort of looking for that. Oh, his name means the covering of God. Well, at the end of this episode, it it covers mm-hmm. unit one before it self destructs, and Which you can cool. start to draw these sort of interesting parallels. And and Anno doesn't really talk about most of this shit, so like it's it's kind of uh, it is yeah. sort of up to us. For sure. Um, okay, so what? So so yeah. So we see the we see the fight. We see the action. I don't know if you want to talk about about any of that. I mean, we're that sort of. What do we ahead. see? So I'm trying to because well, he we does just... the, the 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 statue like grabs him and does that like arm blast thing mm-hmm. where like this sort of battering <laughs> right. ram thing into Unit One's head and then pierces it and you see the the amazing shot of Unit One's head falls down and then the blood sprays out dramatically and right. sort of like well because we see that Shinji's <laughs> like it's it's. A success just to have it walk a couple of steps. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't know what they were thinking. Like, like we didn't really talk much about this this character Ritsuko, uh, mm-hmm. Doctor Ritsuko Akagi, which uh, we made a big deal about Misato last time, but we didn't talk about Ritsuko as another really important character and one of the you know the nerve crew. And we'll find out more and more about her. But but she sort of gives this reaction like when he takes one step, she's like, oh, "It walked! Yeah. Like we did it!" And it's like, well, now he has to what? fight this thing. That's that. I mean, I know. It, it, I know that we're going all over the place here, but that that actually references something that I really want to talk about that I find, and I there's actually it's a question for you because so you know Luke and I are you know we're friends we watch a lot of the same stuff obviously, but we you watch a lot more kaiju type sure. stuff than I do, and I find and this is we referenced this a little bit before, but that one some of what I think Anno's doing with a lot of this to me anyways as a you know nominal kaiju movie watcher is that he's looking for tactile realities in the technology and how it would all work Mm -hmm. and and you know so it's not just these like flying around you know like robot suits that just do whatever the hell they want stuff like that 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 everything is like ground to down to the fact that they have power connections to them which is when i was younger i was always found kind of like bizarre and sort of annoying that like they literally are tethered to like they're plugged up right you know we're gonna find out a lot more about that, I think, in the next episode. So I'm not sure how deep we want to go. Well, into I, that. I just wanted pointing it out because I find cables. I find the fact that like that like there is a sort of 
startup quality to this whole thing and, and right. some of that like they talk because they, they do talk about the expense of these things <laughs> they talk about the cost of like the, the damage that it does yeah when they you, talk it's nice about, you do you see, see a lot of them doing repairs afterwards yeah, yeah like, you see you see work crews like construction crews like hauling the jack, broken jack off parts of the and things stuff being hoisted up and moved around yeah because that's the biggest thing that in most in most like uh you know godzilla movies and stuff like that that they don't really touch upon because it's i mean at that point like the stakes are about saving the world or you know whatever and there's not a lot of the sort of aftermath in terms of like yeah like you know this is an incredible amount of damage and we see in this that the you know the buildings in new in new tokyo 3 like retract into the ground when angels attack it's like there's a lot of thought on the part of, of the creative team that makes the show thinking well if this was really happening how would it work? Like right. there has to be a group of well, people about that living build in that world things, too. You know? Yeah. So, so this is the, the day to day of, yeah, the, the, if Godzilla's attacking Tokyo like every fucking third Thursday, like what what is the price of that for, for yeah. the common people? And that we get a little bit of a sense of that. And again, with the gossip of the people in line at the grocery store that are like, okay, we should we should go. Which which speaks a little bit to and it, and it's clarified some of my my confusion last time. I was sort of pointing out. I remember just struggling with it a little bit the first time that I watched the show, being like, wait, this is the first angel in 15 years, but they've got this city yeah. built where the buildings can retract and the angels attack. And, you know, like, so how much is this a surprise and how much is this expected? And, you know, without getting too spoilery, we're going to find out that there's, again, you know, pulling from, from reality and like weird Christian mythology stuff that there is the Dead Sea Scrolls that prophesied a lot of stuff and so we get we start to get into a lot of the uh, you know governmental conspiracy stuff we have this human instrumentality project yeah committee. They, they've referenced that yeah so we see this committee of sort of like illuminati type right. guys from different countries and that's where they start to talk about the expense of it and everything and so the idea that 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 this project is i guess secretly being funded by an international the UN. Yeah, we're going to find out more about the state of the world too, and I, so I don't want to overwhelm everybody with information. But I think it's sort of helpful to go into this with a little bit of knowledge of. We'll find out more next episode, but there was some kind of disaster. So even this, the world at large, is in the aftermath of tragedy, mm -hmm. and so there is some expectation of, and they they sort of say it in that meeting that that they knew the angels were going to come back. They didn't know exactly when, so it, it came as a surprise, but it's like 15 years ago. So all this stuff, and they're like, oh, good, we didn't waste our money. Like, the yeah. angels are back, so that means this wasn't a waste of time. But they cryptically say, you know, well, if it all doesn't go as planned, then it will have been a waste. But we do sort of, yeah, just get that sense that um, this has all been in preparation. Oh, I just, I, we have it playing now silently. I just know that like there's, there's UN markings on some of the like trucks and stuff like that. So it's like, yeah. yeah in, it's just... in the aftermath of the deal is, and this isn't even necessarily stuff they get into in the show. This is just, you know, little nerd books from Japan and stuff, mm -hmm. but like that, that the UN sort of became the world government afterwards. And these guys that, that Gendo is talking to uh, a couple of scenes into the show are representatives of, I think America, Britain, France, Russia, um, and they're sort of heading up whatever this weird secret project is mm -hmm. that paid for the Evangelions. And they're calling Gendo into question because it's his son who's piloting the, the robot. Yeah, which I guess was a surprise to all of them, which is, <laughs> is, you know, they haven't really talked about how the pilot selection works yet. That's not something. We've no, got we've got a, a strange cryptic reference in episode one to the Marduk Institute, mm -hmm. I think. And uh, that's all we've really gotten as far as that goes so far. So I guess we can sort of walk through the episode some which we already started to do we see shinji fucking up and falling you know face planting 
uh, early in his in his battle. And an amazing, I just love the way, again, I, I talked about it before, but when and how we cut out of scenes and how sound will end abruptly, like cut out abruptly. It's the idea of like at the most heightened point of mm-hmm, the uh, mm-hmm. of the battle like Shinji and then he just wakes up in in the hospital and that's where we get him talking about the unfamiliar ceiling for the for the first time in the Which is a great hospital cut, bed cutting to this this all white you know kind of like his oversaturated light mm-hmm. and the cicadas are back and yeah really lovely stuff and he's yeah, out of his element um and then oh yeah and then and then i guess like the, the i mean the other big the big you know sort of to take it to, to sort of continue the thread that we talked about before where it's like if you think of this like a normal tv show and you take out the stuff it's like we're still continuing the young shy awkward boy sort of teaming up with this you know uh kind of attractive older woman that now in this episode becomes his caretaker basically because the other big plot thing is, is right. that shinji has to stay someplace and him and his dad uh, clearly don't really well you, you mentioned it briefly but i do want to call out like the the real there's a lot of great shorthand and there's a lot of great, you know, just sort of a series of kind of funny cuts where the cuts are sort of abrupt and we, we just get right to the meat of the next thing. But, but it, this is all sort of this little arc starts with the elevator when the elevator mm-hmm. door opens at nerve and Misato and Shinji are on one side and Gendo, his dad is standing in the elevator and they just like stare at each other for the full amount of time it takes for the elevator yeah, doors to yeah. start closing again. And there's just nobody, Misato doesn't say anything. Shinji doesn't say anything. Gendo doesn't move a muscle. Mm-hmm. They just, we're not getting on the elevator with him. And I think that sort of signals to Misato, okay, well they're not going to live together. And you like smash cut to, they're talking to the nerve guy and it's been arranged that Shinji's going to live by himself because they they typically they've been used to living alone. And he's, and he's, and he's so like trying so hard to make it he's like, it's fine. Being alone's fine. I can live anywhere. I <laughs> love to be by myself. Yeah, he's, he's just constantly. And then uh, like, you get this other like smash cut to Misato on the phone talking to Ritsuko and she's like, what? Like, no, he's coming to live with me. Yeah. And yeah, this wonderful, just again, the attention to detail of what it's like to be, kind of shy 14 year old kid where like you can see in the shot Shinji's just standing there in the just background yeah. while people talk about him and like what's going to happen with him and he just kind of nervously <laughs> stands there and waits to find out what people are going to tell him to do uh, I, I mean I still find myself in that situation oh, yeah. just kind of awkwardly standing somewhere <laughs> not really sure what's where my life's going to take me yeah no and it's and it's in and then so we, we it sort of goes into you know what is like the broadest comedy bits we've seen yet and that, that is a you know a component of this sort of multi-tonal show that like and it, it you know it, it goes away some is the plot you know eventually we'll, we'll get into like there's darker more serious stuff but at this point like there is still almost the sitcom quality and a total of, whiplash because you know it, yeah. it goes right from that moment i was talking about like oh it's lingering on his shoes and he's crossing the threshold into the first home he's ever known and then you know next thing you know she's chugging beers and the, which is, is my ringtone to like when my phone oh rings, is it still it, it plays the misato theme nice. yeah well that's yeah because that's the, we get really very attached to the different music cues in this and, and in classic tv form you know they repeat cues at different times and that's the sort of yeah the misato drinking beer in her apartment theme and, and it's this <laughs> weird like the way it's framed i've always found it funny that it's like it's sort of the Jonathan Demi, like Silence of the Lambs. Like she's kind of looking right at the camera, you know, <laughs> thing where she's like talking at you and she's drinking the beer and she does her like, yeah, like thing. And no, yeah, even all know. the, yeah, like the extreme angles of the comedy stuff, like the, the, mm-hmm. the storytelling, the, 
the filmic style changes for that. And, the, you know, there's lots of fan servicey shots of like, oh, look, it's like, you know, shot under her breasts or, mm-hmm. you know, behind well, she's, the She's reaching pants. over the table, so it's behind her. But they're also, but it's also funny. It's like, in, in yeah. addition to being fan service, it is funny that she's like leaning over the table and grabbing his head. And like, it's just, you know, it, like it emphasizes how like, you know, her like long body and how funny it is to see her sort of crawl up like that. And I, I don't know. It's, right. So there's a lot of. Tickles me. Yeah. Tonal whiplash. But then even that, like you know, at the at the end of that scene and this like funny exchange, she's like thinking to herself, like maybe I'm being too <laughs> flippant or I don't mm-hmm. remember what word she uses. Or she's like, she's like so. putting like that. She feels like a little bit like she's putting on too much to try to make him feel comfortable. Right. Because like she lives in this like pigsty of an apartment and, you know, she's because trying they're both to be... stunted. Yeah. In their own ways. Like she's 29. He's 14. But they are both kind of. And we'll find out more about Misato as we go, but uh, they're both sort of are, you know, missed out on their childhoods in these different ways, and are kind of these, yeah. There's an arrested development quality to them. Yeah. So even yeah. So it's 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 a fun like you know again just that thread of just these two as a sort of comically mismatched pair and working together now living together, and uh, it's worth pointing out that this is the first time we see. Uh, a character that you know sadly doesn't i don't think it's enough to do in the show um <laughs> i think we really could have had a lot more with with masato and shinji's other roommate pen 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 the penguin which which hot springs penguin just a which is a completely fake thing I, i'm assuming that the idea there is that like like it's like uh, global warming or something like it's some sort yes, of yes that is exactly what it is yeah. is that after this you know this event that's called second impact that we, we glean more and more information about, but this is the big disaster that sort of led to this post-disaster world that we're living in. Of, it is a, it is a world of eternal summer. There's going to be a yeah. little bit more in the next episode. Just again, throw away in the background. Kind yeah, of they, just, they never, yeah, they never really talk about it. But yeah, but, now there's because she says he's one of those new warm, warm water penguins or whatever. It's just like like oh, these things just evolved, I guess, or something. There like, may be stuff where he's like actually like a genetic modification in uh, just ancillary information. Oh, None sure. of this is necessarily in the show or relevant in the show, but I think is is canon that he's some sort of experiment or something. As you can see, he's got like fingers, like claws. Yeah, a little click because <laughs> he touches the button. And and did we ever say like, or have we ever? Is it because he wears a backpack? And there is the famous if you've never Googled penguin wearing backpack or penguin goes fish shopping or whatever. If you've never seen that, Perry famous... Grip the uh, the oh yeah yeah does, he uh, yeah he does has a song called Shopping Penguin. If literally if 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 anyone is listening to this and has not seen the penguin that shops for fish on its own in Japan, you absolutely need to stop this right now and and watch it because it's one of the best. It's an early thing, but I, f- I feel like it's gotta be inspired by that, that. Yeah, it would right. have to be right but it's also playing on a trope of the mascot you know if you look at a lot of anime shows you know from yeah, like a bear Ayn or like whatever in yeah. cowboy bebop or like there's some sort of i think it's a cat or something that uh <laughs> the main character keeps trying to eat in um I can't remember the name of the show. There's like but, a Sailor Moon. She has a cat, and like yes. know, yeah, it's a it's a popular trope. Yeah. There's typically some sort of cutesy animal uh, sidekick. You know, even even like Thundercats. You have your your Snarf. Yeah, well, yeah Snarf character. So like this is this is theirs, and it's oh, this weird penguin who seems to be in, in, as intelligent and like a, she doesn't call him a pet. She calls him a roommate. Yeah, and, yeah. And he lives in he has his room in the fridge. And, you're gonna see the evidence later on that he is actually quite intelligent but uh yeah it's it's funny he gives a very judgy look to shinji oh it's a real fuck you look that he gives before yeah. he goes into the fridge so there's so so it's like it, it does i mean it's it's an amazing like like you know like you said like complete tonal shift to go from like 
violent, you know, monster fights to weird government intrigue and tech tech stuff to then this just like very broad comedy with which a is penguin I, I think and it's a, probably know. maybe easier for people to stomach now like i remember you know in the late 90s seeing this and just like what the fuck and then like when i would show this show to people you'd have to sort of give them a kind of like okay just chill out it's, it's not, not that gonna kind of be show. like this yeah. the whole time this isn't or something <laughs> and i i remember specifically you know like no spoilers but telling people like you're gonna miss this like yeah. eventually yeah. Oh, you're yeah, gonna yeah. come very, like very to hear this misato like drinking theme song and stuff you're gonna long for the carefree days which I think is why when you watch, when you repeat watch it like the way we have and the way we're doing it now, you get so you're so happy to be here at the beginning. So if yeah. anybody out there is watching this for like the you know if, if, if they're watching this is they're listening to us to accompany a second Evangelion watching, I assume you know exactly what I'm talking about. Was like you get that music again and you just feel you feel like you are back at home. Right. You know, weirdly, the way that Shinji is, you know, apparently at home for the first time and it and it's a really comforting thing. And then of is course, this maybe the show's only safe place yeah you know because even nerve feels very oppressive and and clinical and you know this this, the shot they have here where he's like above the you know at the top of the geo front and you can see like the the ground like so far beneath him as he's saying he's gonna Mm -hmm. go live alone and stuff and Um, i don't think i mean this is not you don't don't answer me if there's something i'm forgetting here but like at least my feeling is is that they don't ever defile this either it's something that just sort of you know it's complicated yeah but yeah, this continues to be to be. Yeah, old. it's it's definitely um, nice. some like Austin Powers jokes here, sort of with the beer can blocking Shinji's genitals, and like you know, it is it's. <laughs> Misato takes the beer away, and there's a, a thing of toothpicks that's still covering his genitals. Yeah, yeah. with a helpful little uh, arrow, you know, to to tell you the viewer that that's what it is, right. <laughs> like the, you know, as an added you know small dick pun or whatever like, <laughs> that we need to do. But um, but then it you know like literally like it goes from this broad comedy stuff to him in bath and then in, in a bath thinking about like fucked up stuff that's happened and then in bed thinking about it and that's where we get so we whip right back into the most into disturbing the, stuff that we've seen yeah yet. and before we leave that behind i mean maybe i could save this for the end but i do obviously yeah i have a big fan of masato but like watching this again as you know so far on the other side as an adult just even in this episode just really touched by and impressed with her as a character and the, this the effort that she's putting forth to somebody as difficult as Shinji to try and connect with him. And, and I, we kind of skipped over the scene where she takes him up on the hilltop at magic hour to show him the buildings mm-hmm. of Tokyo three, which is sort of this neat idea that they can retract into the ground because the city's built over this hollowed out hole, this geo front. So the buildings can come up out of the ground and sink back in when an angel attacks. And she shows him in this like big majestic moment, the city's rising and tells him like, Oh, this is the city that you helped to save to sort of remind him like, yes, you, mm-hmm. this is why you're doing this. And, uh, she's going to have this moment where she comes in at the end where she just sort of tells him, oh, I forgot to tell you, you did a good job. And Gambatane, like, you know, hang in there, do your best. The translation hang in there was the first one that, that I saw. I just the idea of this episode ending with hang in there. Mm-hmm. Hang in there is, a to me, a really powerful <laughs> statement and idea. And that's it's another one like I mustn't run away that I've definitely yeah. clung to over the years of just somebody if I could have a Misato come into my bedroom and just like tell me from, from the door as I'm, you know, lying in bed, like hang in there, it's going to be okay. Um, you know, no, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, she, you're, you're right. I mean, she becomes, 
like an increasingly appealing character the older I get and the more I understand what the real emotions of these characters are and like the deeper levels of this stuff and you know yeah because well, I'm trailing off into yeah. wistfulness here. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna happen, but I mean, we get it. Then now we get the big robot action, which I, is to me a really smart way. Like I just, it's so jarring when they cut out of the action, like just when it's getting to the yeah. good stuff, and they withhold it till the end of the episode, and then like here, that's great the structure. You know, you hear the the clang of the the angel arm, whatever you want to call it. Satchel's like laser fist slamming into him, and you you know get the flashes those ono flashes of like like single frames like and then uh, we're back like in in the action when he's getting his ass kicked by by the I, I i find it, this is you know we, we, we talk about the specificity of movement and the physicality of things in, in the show a lot and we'll con- continue to do that but i i find the action in this sequence really pleasing and 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 it's cool again like you know he's it's it's not the, the 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 Ava can't just do anything, but at the same time, we are seeing now that like like what we hinted at in the first episode that like oh things are supposed to work a certain way, but this we're already seeing that when Shinji's in it, it it does things that surprise them. And, and this is where we see it like here in episode two, it's it's going berserk for the first time. We see the Evangelion go roars, berserk, and it yeah. roars. And this to call back to what I was saying in the other episode in terms of sound, the roar of the Evangelion. It's sort of like weird and muffled, and it's not like a super sharp and clean sound but it's just again when i compared evangelion to to star wars in terms of the soundscape and the invention of sounds that roar becomes really chilling and it because it is so strange and because it is so kind of muffled and you know weird and low in the mix i don't know um really effective to me but this is where you really see the difference between the evangelians and i just finished watching pat labor for the first time pat labor um which is uh, Mamoru Oshii's like early I've never cops seen with robots thing. I've seen like parts of it. But it's I... cool. It's you know it's like workplace comedy and procedural with this happens to have robots, but those are okay. very very real robots that you know have to be trucked around and their movements and you know almost right away as soon as the Ava goes berserk, it leaps through the air and flips around and mm-hmm. grabs onto the angel. So it's very different type of physicality. Yeah, it does I mean does this type of like again, you as the more like expert on this stuff. Does this type well, of I, we're not? I want to just clarify. I meant to add that we're not experts on Japanese culture, or we're just big fans. Or, oh, you know, I know. I'm, I'm, using, in, I'm using expert in, in quotes here, but you've you've watched you've watched all the Godzilla movies. You've seen all the Gamera movies. You've seen you know a lot of anime that deals with mechs and stuff like that. And I just I'm just curious if like do, do you see a precedent for the type of the type of violence, the type of action, the type of, you know, fighting as it were. Cause it's like, you know, famously in like Pacific Rim, like Guillermo, like kind of applied sort of like wrestling moves to the things. And that was like, you know, I mean, to the, to the dismay of some people and to the pleasure of others. But like, you know, every time you have to have, cause like, you know, early Godzilla stuff, you know, these kind of just stomping around and doing stuff. And then like, you know, when you get into the Godzilla movies with fighting, like they're never, they're not like spry because it was guys in suits, like right. literally. And then you get like different ones that have different, you know, that fly or do different things. And I'm just, but this type of violence, it's very, when you see Ava Unit 1 go berserk and like, you know, yeah, it does like a flip thing, which is sort of like a martial arts move. But then you see like the pounding and the, the like real, like, just like beating the shit out of <laughs> he it. It's he like, grabs the angel's two hands in one hand and breaks snaps his, them. Yeah. Snaps I mean, it does remind me of the fucking uh, Dawn of Man sequence in 2001, which I'm going to reference 2001. I'm probably every 
episode because mm-hmm. that 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 and the um, display screens in Nerve Headquarters reminds me of 2001 as well. But like when the when the monkey gets the uses the bone to kill the other monkey for the oh, first time, sure, yeah. that's kind of what we're watching because it gets on top and it's just pounding on the thing's chest with like it snaps off that bit of like bone thing that it has and then it, like you know wrecks it. And I'm just other than the monkey in 2001, I just for this genre, I, I just I didn't know if I've ever I've never seen anything quite um, like this. But I, mean, I don't the, know, maybe the, I'm wrong. In animation, I don't see a whole lot of in you know, the action. I can't think of offhand anything that's, that's like um, moves in the same way in terms of the level of violence with this kind stuff of thing. Stuff has after for sure because this. Oh, this was, is hugely influential hugely on influential, stuff that yeah. came after. Because the you, vi- get, you see this kind of shows violence like Razafon, which yeah. just mimic down to you know. Just, oh yeah, you know. Drops of water and sound mm-hmm. of you know like it's it's com- a complete you know response to this. Um, I'm gonna talk about Ultraman a lot probably, sure. and I'll talk about Ultraman in in future episodes. And I know that Anna and it was certainly a, yeah reference because he's a big fan yeah. And there is you know in some of the early Ultraman shows you will get like just strange abrupt violence in terms of you know there's an Ultraman character called Ultra Seven that has this little you know like a like a like a Spartan helmet kind of, and he can take the blade off and, you know, he'll throw that and like cut people apart and you'll see, oh, there'll wow. be sprays of blood really? sometimes and things. That. Yeah. So like, especially in the older shows before it became like, you know, more and more kid, kid friendly. So there would be, and I, I think there's even like a, an ultra seven, I believe it is. It might be one of the later ones where there is, a particular uh, episode of Evangelion later that involves some, some violence and you can sort of, you know, focusing on like rivers, uh, you know, where, where blood is flowing mm, or like, yeah, yeah. I think it might be feathers or something, but there's definitely stuff in Ultraman where, you know, somebody gets, you know, a monster gets t- t- torn to pieces. Well, this is, in, you know, like, this... there's less, it's more incidental though. It's not like there's any weight to the violence. Like it, it, obviously Evangelion's going to wrestle a lot with, well, what does it mean for Shinji to have, been a part of this yeah because it's because what we're seeing in that and what is going to become an increasing thing but but in that moment is is i think is you know and this is goes a lot of the the hand imagery and stuff like that is that you know the fact that shinji because i I actually while we were watching it i i I asked you like do we think that he's forgotten up until this moment when he's remembering Mm -hmm. and it's hard to say and i guess it's kind of doesn't matter but a lot of it is that like he is surprised and disturbed by what he's able to do you know he was he was asked to, to pilot this thing he didn't understand what was going on but he right. did it because he was gonna you know felt guilty that ray was gonna have to do it and he did it because you know no one else could do it or whatever and then you know he excels at it in in a disturbing surprising and disturbing way and and he's gonna well, grab you know and, he's and, starting to, to to be uncomfortable with that and how blurred the line is and that this is another thing that i like about evangelion and i you know i'd have to sort of look and see how many times before this they really went so far to blur the line between pilot and and mecca in in that you know when it the very first thing that happens in the episode is did ava gets its arm broken and shinji freaks out and ritsuko has to sort of remind him that's not your arm that's not your mm-hmm, arm mm-hmm. but they're so connected that he can feel what the robot is feeling so that it isn't just I'm piloting a piece of machinery. I am actually f- sort of fusing mentally with this other body. This, which again is a nice little metaphor for you know being 14 years old and growing up and puberty and all that of like this adult body, yeah, this yeah, giant body is really being piloted by something that is much smaller and weaker and more afraid. Yeah, uh, and so. Yeah, that and the, that you get sort of this callback at the end when Shinji's looking very vul- vulnerable expression on his face as just staring at his arm that is definitively not 
broken mm-hmm. and that sort of plays into what yeah we're going to continue to see a lot of hand imagery i think we see the hand uh covered in blood in the first episode when he's mm-hmm. holding ray and yeah. he sort of looks down and there's blood on his hand and uh that's an image that will be called back to uh, throughout mm-hmm. the show but, but and yeah. and then the last I mean the last plot thing to mention then just because we're uh, we're getting I mean, we don't we can go as long as we want but I just want to make sure I get yeah, this in before I forget is, is that the the because this is a thing I want to track on this viewing for myself is that after the uh, satchel uh, you know self destructs like wraps itself around Ava Unit One and self self destructs they all for a second are afraid that Shinji's dead and that the, the Ava's destroyed and then it's sort of you get this you know incredible shot of like Ava Unit One sort of walking through the the aftermath of this explosion <laughs> and and what they say is they say oh that must be the Ava's true form and and all this stuff is you know we're not going to spoil anything or anything but like we're just tracking that. At this point, we don't really know what that means, and right. and we what 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 we see is that we see inside Shinji's and, and Luke and I actually paused it to really analyze the shot this time. Is we see from Shinji's perspective, he's standing next to like a skyscraper, and so he can see Ava Unit One's reflection in the glass of the skyscraper, and the the sort of like the carapace or like the sort the of mask. helmet, the mask thing of Ava Unit One falls to the ground, and so we see that it's you know it's this like armor. And just able to look at himself, quote unquote, in the mirror. Yeah. He's able to look at the Evangelion in the mirror and see what it is. And it's and it and it, and it opens this in this really cool, creepy way. Its eye opens and like looks back at him. This very vaginal slit appears in this yeah. dull, featureless gray flesh, and this eye grows and stares directly at him and causes him to scream. And and so we don't know at this point. I mean, there's a lot we don't know, and there's a lot that we kind of will never know. But, but it's the it's as there has been hints leading up to now that this thing isn't just a robot. You know, this right. isn't just a it isn't a robot. It isn't a, a a mech armor suit that you just put on and walk around in. It's some kind of a thing, and it has you know as the berserk thing, as the protecting Shinji thing in the first episode was, and now this there's there's some sort of life suggested by this thing in a in a sort of biomechanical mm-hmm. weirdo way that. Right there is like you know something of a, a flip on the traditional expectation for a giant mechs fighting, and giant, and a flip you know. on the sort of wish fulfillment of like oh cool I get to be a pilot of this thing you know mm-hmm. like you know again like the beginning of Pacific Rim for example where it's just like here's a couple of dude bros like, get out there and kick some ass like, we like Whoa! Pacific Rim by the way but yeah, yes <laughs> totally yeah no problem but it's just like in, yeah it's in a totally different vibe how different it is gun. of that that he's terrified. Yeah. By this by this thing that he's inside of yeah. that is staring at him with this cold, watchful eye that not dissimilar from the look that Pen Pen gives him yeah. <laughs> going into the uh, before before we wrap up, we're talking about unit one. We do get a little glimpse of unit yeah. zero zero here and uh, we see Gendo and is it Ritsuko? They're like standing mm-hmm. in a, a trashed room and we see Ava unit zero zero sort of frozen in place and they, they make cryptic reference to it still being damaged a couple of times in the episode. So we'll find out more about that later, but this is our first glimpse of there's, yeah, there's another Evangelion unit and this is our first look at that one. Yeah. And we've still, yeah, we've, this first time we've seen that and we still haven't even really interacted with Ray. They talk about Ray a lot and we see her in like one or two shots. She's wheeled by. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot to, a lot to, a lot of, a lot of fun interesting stuff we'll learn about all of these and we get a glimpse of uh some characters that i like all the the nerve technicians oh yeah we get uh, maya and makoto and uh, aoba 
uh, you'll, you know, that's when you watch the show enough that just even the background characters start oh, yeah. to, to really they have a lot of affection for them. It's you know comparable to like Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so no, that's a good answer. Like, oh, there's Lee Jordan. Him. Like Lee Jordan shows up for a page or two. Yeah, everybody, anybody who read Harry Potter knows that 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 you you start to get disappointed that the movies don't have enough time to to cover those mm-hmm. characters in the news. And in this, at least, like they're you know like because this is the text, it's not like an adaptation. So like you get, but you you do you always want there to be more of those characters i find anyways but they you know they do enough to where like by the end there is some emotional connection with all these so you know like yeah, you get just enough mm-hmm. uh, insight into them and i think they really serve their purpose but this is, yeah this is the first well, glimpse we don't even have names for them yet at this point no um there's not a whole a lot else to call out i i, I want i want to mention that this like secret organization of nerve i do do find it's funny that they print their name on their paper cups oh yeah it's like the dharma initiative (laughs) yeah (laughs) like how the dharma initiative has their own beer and stuff like that it's like like we bother to some manufacturer printing nerve on all these like paper coffee cups that are all piled up what's do you remember do you remember the best uh the best joke in the first transformers movie I don't. Uh, when when John Turturro, I forget what the secret government group that John Turturro works for is. It's called like Sector Seven or something. And <laughs> yeah. there's a part where like they make him take his suit off, and he has an undershirt that says Sector Seven on it, <laughs> like, or something like that. I'm, I'm probably fucking that joke up, but like, yeah, it's the same kind of thing. I was like, your secret organization like bothers to brand itself and right. have like logos and. Things. Well, hey, I get it. I've got plenty of merchandise that I bought that has a Nerve logo on it. Yes. And, uh, you know, I want to see. I want to see the thing in the show, and then I want to buy it. And I yeah. think. That's that's something that Gynox was very aware of, <laughs> making everything very toyetic and mm-hmm. merchandisable. And it worked. And sure. If you go to Japan, if you if you love this show, go to Japan. You can buy a fuckload of Evangelion. Brain my stuff. my favorite, and it'll be you know funnier the deeper you get into the show. But that that uh, Gendo was the face. I think it was Gillette razors. It was some some really? some brand of shaving razor. And there was a prominent ad campaign with him, and there was a clean-shaven Gendo like, without wow, the beard. Wow, I did not know <laughs> that. Like, part of selling these razors. I just remember the first time, because you went to Japan before I ever did, and uh, back when we lived in Georgia, and I remember you came back, and you got you got me Evangelion, a can of Evangelion canned coffee. Yeah, it was, there was coffee and there was orange juice. It was, yeah. a, but it was like coffee and uh, the orange juice was was advertised as LCL. Like, it oh, was, that's it was so funny, LCL. And I think like the outside of the box, the little carton had like Shinji saying like, what, "What's in this can?" And Gendo just say, uh, "Just drink it." <laughs> uh, we're gonna have to get somebody who could read Japanese. God, to, I bet, uh, I, we should try and find. Me. I bet there's a, I bet somewhere there's like a, a compilation of like Evangelion commercials or something. I would love. We should we should get that. I mean, when we're actually doing by the time where this is actually out, we'll have some sort of brand. We'll have like a Twitter account or something like that. But I I, I would yeah, love to find of all things. of the ephemera of of those type of little things. Um, because it, it spawned, yeah, a lot of that stuff. So I think we covered a lot of the big plot points, and we don't want to overstay our welcome with these episodes because there's so much to talk about, and mm-hmm. next time we'll be able to talk about a lot more. But I think we've covered the plot completely, right? Is there anything else about the episode in particular that we... Yeah, I think that's all. I mean, we we, we jumped around a little bit, but again, I mean, you guys are just watching it. If you're watching it and listening to this, then like your minds are jumping around too. I don't feel bad. But yeah, I think we covered all of it. So next time we'll do episode three yeah episode zero three which uh on my dvds is called a transfer um 
There may okay. be, you know, that, that eye-catcher title of yeah, I'm looking, maybe something else. But, uh, but uh, so we'll introduce another fun character. We're, we're at the beginning here. We're just like every episode is introducing some mm-hmm. huge new thing to the show. Which oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never really slows down exactly, but you're always getting new character, you know, new fan favorite things. But uh, there's a big one coming up next time. No, so. I'm look, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. So, well, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, you know. Hope hope you're enjoying this, and uh, we are ourselves. So, yeah. See you next time. Welcome, welcome home. <laughs>